What is up, Nets world? You know what it is. The Believe in Nets podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, your one-stop shop for everything happening across the sports and entertainment world. I'm your host, Eric Slater, Brooklyn Nets beat reporter for ClutchPoints.com. And obviously, since our last episode, Kevin Durant went down with that MCL sprain in Miami. I was down there covering the game and, you know, a really scary injury, but I think all Nets fans breathe the collective sigh of relief when it was announced that it was less severe than the one Kevin Durant suffered last season. And it's only expected that Katie will miss two to four weeks. But last year, the Nets, you know, they were towards the top of the Eastern Conference, 27 and 13. They'd go on to go five and 16 without Durant, including an 11 game losing streak. And obviously that culminated in a James Harden trade request of the deadline. And just a period that Durant would later say derailed the season. The Nets are in a similar situation this year, but you know, the similar situation in that KD went down with the injury, but it's different because Kyrie Irving's on a full-time status. They have a much deeper and much more well-rounded supporting cast to survive an injury like this. And the question around the NBA world the last week was, how would the Nets look? How would they play without KD, who has just set the league on fire this season as a bona fide top five MVP candidate, one of the best offensive players in the year and in the league and really having one of the most efficient offensive seasons of his career. And honestly, two-way seasons because he met, you know, almost just as much on the defensive end as he has on the offensive end, which says, you know, an incredible amount about the two-way play that he's been turning in. But the league got their first look at the Nets minus KD on Thursday, and the Nets dropped their first game of that Durantless stretch, 109-98 to the league-leading Boston Celtics. And, you know, this is... There were some things that happened in this game that you would expect, and there were some things that happened in this game that you know you wouldn't necessarily expect. And it was really a frustrating performance for a variety of reasons. And you know, the most frustrating part was that the Nets in the first half controlled this game. They led by as many as nine points, and they were really leading up until the very final possessions of the first half. Then they went down by six in the third quarter, came back, took a lead, and then surrendered it, you know, into the fourth, and then just went ice cold in the fourth quarter. And we're gonna get into the entire game flow and everything that went into to that and you got to start with Kyrie Irving because Kyrie Irving is obviously going to be shouldered with the most heavy offensive burden in Durant's absence and Kyrie did not play his best game in this one against Boston as has been the case in the majority of the matchups with his former team in the recent memory Um, 24 points 9 of 24 from the field 3 of 13 from 3 2 rebounds 6 assists 1 turnover and you know, it, it wasn't an awful game by Kyrie, but it was a bad game. And after what we've seen from him throughout this stretch since returning from that expe- uh, suspension in early November, he's been one of the top guards, the guards in the league. And this performance was just not up to his standards. And obviously a part of that is the Nets just getting used to playing without Durant. It's a completely different game flow. It's a completely different office without you getting, you know, the one of the main ways that the Nets initiate their offenses, you get Durant those mid post touches. You run the pick and rolls featuring Durant as a ball handler or a screener, all of that without Durant. You know, it's really just Kyrie as the lone go-to scorer. And now you're leaning heavily on other guys like a TJ Warren, like a Seth Curry to create shots. And you can do it. And they were successful at points in the first half. But as they got down the stretch, it really started to wear down. And Kyrie with the Nets going, he was he was pretty good in the first half, Kyrie. But then as the game progressed, the Nets started to get down. It seems like he started pressing a little bit, trying to take over himself. And he just really wasn't getting good shots off. And that's the first thing I just want to talk about is in these games against Boston, we saw it in the first game where the Nets lost to Boston two or three weeks ago. Tyree's shot profile is just, it's its always difficult, but it seems like it's just more difficult in these games against Boston. I mean, I said he took 24 shots 
13 of those are three-pointers. And a lot of these are difficult pull-up attempts. I mean, these aren't easy looks. He wasn't getting to the rim as easily. We saw there were some drives where Kyrie had, and he's running into Robert Williams down low, who's obviously one of the best defensive anchors in the league. And around that, the Celtics have a Tatum. You have a Marcus Smart hounding him. You have a Derek White. You have all of these athletic guards who are long to go along with wings and that back line, you know, anchored by Robert Williams and just a very tough matchup for an undersized guard like Kyrie Irving, who really relies on tough shot making for the bulk of his offensive production. So it's a tough matchup and Kyrie, he didn't play up to par and he didn't play as well as the Nets would have needed him to, to get a win against a high level team like Boston, even minus Jalen Brown. And, you know, Boston has really given Kyrie trouble outside of that game one outburst in last year's playoffs in five five appearances outside of that game one performance, he's averaging 17.8 points on 33 of 85. That's 38% shooting. So it's been a rough go of it in the recent stretch against Boston for Kyrie dating back to the end of last regular season when he returned. So this is just a team that gives him trouble and that continued. And, you know, the Nets had a lot of things that they could have done differently, I think, in terms of just not letting the ball stick. And in the first half, the ball wasn't sticking and it was moving. And a big product of a big reason for that was Ben Simmons, who, you know, coming out of this game, I'm going to talk about it at length here, but Ben Simmons was a story coming out of this game because one of the strangest, strangest performances you're ever going to see on an NBA basketball court. Zero points, nine rebounds, 13 assists, two steals, one block, only two turnovers, 0 of 3 from the field. And, you know, it's it's just a performance that you don't really even know what to make of it or how to approach breaking this down. Whether, you know, when I'm writing my postgame article last night or coming into this podcast, Ben was the... The third player in Nets history to register 10 assists without scoring a point. Jason Kidd was one of the others. And ironically, Jock Vaughn was the other one during his stint with the Nets in the early 2000s. This is also the 18th time in NBA history that a player has registered 13 or more assists without scoring a point. So just really some rare company and something that you don't really see. And it's tough to break it down. And the discourse surrounding this performance has already become exhausting because, you know, he made a clear and evident impact. I think he's one of the most impactful players on the floor in the first half. The offense was really only flowing when Ben was in the game, pushing the pace, getting into transition, finding his teammates. And that's evident in the numbers. I mean, the Nets had a team high 109.1 offensive rating with Ben on the floor that plummeted to 90.5 when he was out. So all the things that he was doing in that first half, which was mainly getting out in transition and getting these assists and finding his teammates, whether it's a Utah Watanabe running the floor, a TJ Warren, finding Joe Harris for threes, finding Nick Claxton running. He did it all. And I posted with my last article, I posted a video of his transition assists, which were just outstanding. And that transition game is going to continue to be huge because without Kevin Durant, the half-court offense is going to be tough because not only are you relying on Kyrie Irving so heavily, now you have to shift, like I said earlier, to a TJ Warren, to a Seth Curry, to guys who no doubt can do it, but are just not as reliable and aren't always going to have it on like a Kevin Durant is. So that transition game is really going to be huge. And you know, as great as he was pushing the pace and finding teammates in that first half, the overall aggressiveness just tailed off in the second half. And it's been a trend this season. I I posted the stat in my last couple articles. I posted it said it's something to monitor with KD out after KD got injured. In fourth quarters this season, Ben Simmons is averaging one point on 0.7 shot attempts per game. 
So as games progress, we've seen it with Ben over and over and over again this season, whether it's in terms of scoring, whether it's in terms of assists and playmaking, whether it's in terms of just having the ball in his hands. And some of it's obviously just a product of the game flow and KD and Kyrie taking over. But the aggressiveness, the assertiveness, playing with force, something that Jock Vaughn talked about after practice on Wednesday, that is all. There's been a correlation between that declining and games progressing this year for Ben Simmons. And Vaughn spoke of it. He talked about at uh, Wednesday's practice, he talked about the first six minutes of the New Orleans game. Ben Simmons, he drove twice. He was you know, driving and kicking. He was also just going up on his own, drove on Jonas Valanciunas, had a physical drive into Trey Murphy. That's great. But he also put the onus on Ben later to continue that assertiveness and continue playing with the force that he's continually talked about as games progressed. And this is what Jock Vaughn had to say about that New Orleans performance. That was in the first six minutes of the game. Now, can you do it at the 18-minute mark, the 24-minute mark, the 40-minute mark? So that's the progression. It's still the same thing and you're seeing it, but can you consistently see it? Because we definitely need that with Kevin being out. And that's, you know, that was true in this game, even with as good as Ben was in that first half. And it's been the same, it was the same story. And honestly, even in the first half, in terms of looking for his own shot, Ben was even less aggressive than he normally is, but he was making up with it with just you know some insane assists and how much he was doing in transition. But at some point, I mean, as good as Ben is passing the ball, you're going to need him to create some offense for himself. And do I think that Ben was as bad as people, you know, not as bad. I think the most people have acknowledged that he played well in the first half. Do I think that Ben is the reason the Nets lost this game overall? No. He was a big reason why they were in the game and had to leave early. But do I think that his passivity and his just, you know, honestly, it looks like he's scared to shoot down the stretch. Do I think that's a problem? And do I think this was a problem that was a problem in this game? Absolutely. And a big, you know, a big product of that that I need to touch on is just the fouls because it was early in the season. This was an issue with Ben Simmons and it continues to be. He's just picking up these unnecessary dumb fouls, whether it's just reaching in in the backcourt, slapping off of rebounds. It's just lazy, unnecessary fouls. And Ben was in foul trouble that really hurt the Nets in the third quarter because they had to take him out. And that offense just wasn't getting going other than one was in there because that transition game was just so limited. So, you know, not the reason they didn't lose. They not the reason that they lost, but the Nets were desperately searching for offense in that fourth quarter and it's evident that Simmons doesn't want to shoot. I mean, he he ran a pick and roll with Kyrie Irving, got a nice little pocket pass from Kyrie to the right side. He's driving in and he passes up a wide open layup, not wide open. He passes up a layup with Luke Cornett rotating, but it's an easy shot that he should take 10 times out of 10. He tries to dish it down to Claxton and it's a turnover. And Vaughn pulled him after that and he didn't put him back in. And, you know, it's just there's a clear mental block with some of these plays that is still evident. And it's frustrating because there's stretches this season where it looks like that was turning a corner. But then he went out with the cash and he missed four games. And Ben's passivity down the stretch of these games really hasn't hurt the Nets. And it's sort of a double edged sword. It hasn't hurt them because KD and Kyrie have just been going nuclear down the stretch of these games. I mean, we've seen what KD can do. Obviously, we've seen how brilliant Kyrie has been in the majority of these fourth quarters. So they've had the ball in their hands for the majority of the time. And now, you know, you get a point where KD's out and Ben hasn't had the ball in his hands and he's been allowed to fade into the background and not, you know, be forced to force his imprint on the game from a scoring perspective whatsoever down the stretch. Now it's going to hurt you because KD is out and you do need guys who are your top players to step up to, to create some offense, even not to get his own shot, just to put some pressure on the rim, just to draw defenders. Because what we saw down the stretch of this game against the Celtics was Ben was great in transition. He was great passing the ball. As I've said, 
And down the stretch into that fourth quarter, towards the end of the third quarter, the Celtics recognized, hey, this guy doesn't want to shoot. And if he doesn't want to shoot, we're not going to guard him. And that's what's happening is these teams down the stretch, or not these teams because the Nets have been doing it with Katie and Kyrie, but what's going to happen and what the Celtics did you know, cleverly and what teams should do is we're not going to guard this guy. If he doesn't want to shoot down the stretch of games, we're going to sag off of him. We're going to put the pressure on him to shoot, and we're going to take away those passing lanes, take away driving lanes for other guys, and he's, he's going to have to do it himself. And Simmons spoke on it after the game, and he had a quote that, you know, I thought was good self-acknowledgement. I'm going to play it for you right now. Uh, you talk about needing to get your get yourself going in terms of scoring. How, how do you go about doing that? Uh, just being assertive and being aggressive and knowing that my team needs that. I think um, I've given the ball up way too many times when I know who I am. I know I need to get to the rim, get, get buckets. Um, and that's also going to help my teammates and get them going. So acknowledging it and Simmons is aware, but we've heard that this season. And like I said before, there's a clear mental block. I mean, those plays like that rolling to the basket, that layup that he passed up. It's I mean, it's not quite as bad as the game seven where he passed up the dunk, but it's similar. It's shades of that. And it's just evident that there's he's still in his head. And it's frustrating because we've seen him do it at points this year. And we've seen points where we thought that was gone. I mean, he had that six-game stretch in late November where he was averaging 15.5 points per game while taking 8.2 shots and was shooting about 82% from the field. And I do think the free throws play a part in that. I mean, he's one in thir- one for 13 from the line over his last 15 games, I think it is. And that's an issue. But at some point, you got to go to the basket. You got to draw fouls. You got to go get to the line. Because the only way you're going to improve from the line is going to the line. So there's a mental block there that's evident, and that's going to be a problem for the Nets during this Durant stretch if Simmons doesn't turn a corner. And you know, it's something that we've seen at points this season. It's been on and off, hot and cold in terms of Simmons's aggressiveness. But the one constant has been that it hasn't been there in fourth quarters. It hasn't been there in really just second halves. And that's going to be an issue. And then just talking about when Ben does try to go to the basket. I mean, he only took three shots in this game. With KD out, I mean, Ben's got to be in the eight to 10 shot range every game, if not more. I mean, the the guy's six foot ten. He's two hundred forty pounds. You should be able to get looks at the rim just by a byproduct of your physicality. And like I said, I think a portion of that isn't there because of the free throw worries. But you know, just moving past that, just when he's going to the basket, it just seems like there's no feel right now with Ben when he's on these drives. I mean, there's no. There's no just instinct. There's no fluidity in these movements. I mean, when he's going to the basket, this is a guy that we've seen score 40 plus points, you know, 30 plus points consistently at points earlier in his career. And it's just not there right now whatsoever in terms of just mental processing. When you're going to the basket, you know, how about a Euro step? How about a crossover on the perimeter? How about a hesitation? How about a ball fake? It's just, how about something other than driving in and taking this turnaround little fadeaway hook shot? that you know he's had some success with, but you just need to add something to your bag that you've had in the past. I mean, we had points in this game where Luke Cornett is guarding Ben Simmons in space, where back in the day that would have been, you know, he would have been food. And you think Ben would have been frothing at the mouth back in the day and it would have been laughable. And he's just not able to even get a shot off. And it's like, what is going on here? Because we've seen, like I said, we've seen points of the season. I mean, you go back to that Portland game where Ben came down. He had a nice little Euro step and to the right-handed layup. You've seen points against Milwaukee. He came down, went in between the legs, crossed over to a little righty hook. 
you know, the athleticism clearly still isn't there. He's not dunking over people like he used to, but just just something, just some kind of move, just something to create an advantage, something to fake somebody out. I mean, it just hasn't been there. And that's really a concern right now, especially in this Durantless stretch. And I think a big, uh, big reason for it is, like I said, Ben just being in his own head and pressing. So I did my best to break down that performance from Ben Simmons. It's you know, the things that really stick out to me, obviously, is the three shot attempts. A big thing also that I think isn't getting talked about enough is the foul trouble and the dumb fouls. But, you know, made a big impact in the first half. But I think that down the stretch, it's a microcosm of a larger issue that has kind of been hidden by Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving's out, outbursts during the recent hot stretch for the Nets. So that's all I'm going to say about Ben. Just moving on now through the role players, Joe Harris. Because, you know, the Nets had, it's frustrating that Kyrie struggled the way he did and Ben really just faded it down the stretch of this game because the Nets for three quarters had a really high level performance, I thought, from their supporting cast. And starting with Joe Harris, had 18 points. That's a season high. 7-11 from the field, 4 of 7 from three, five rebounds, one assist, two steals. And I really thought that Joe just looked good and looked in rhythm in this game. He got, you know, got some plays, got some looks at the rim off broken plays, also had some drives, a nice drive baseline where he reversed it and looked good finishing at the rim, which is something that he hasn't this year. And that's an encouraging sign against one of the most physically imposing and best defensive teams in the league against Boston. And also just from three, Joe had some nice attempts. He had some really quick trigger threes where he just looked really smooth in his stroke. Had one coming, Ben was coming down in transition, whipped it to the right wing with Joe calling for it, knocks down a three. Another where he's curling off, you know, a, a low screen on the baseline, comes off a DHO dribble handoff from Ben, pops it, you know, elevates real quickly over Grant Williams. So just quick shots in rhythm, actually seeing Joe get involved and have some usage, which we haven't seen in recent games, you know, with KD and Kyrie taking, you know, the reins of the offense, but it's something that the Nets are going to need. And this is a player that we've seen do it at such a high level in recent years. And obviously he's coming off an injury, but the Nets need to get him more involved. And I think this KD injury is really going to force that. And also Joe started this game. I mean, he was the guy who started in place of Kevin Durant. And we've seen how much better Joe is when he starts his season, as opposed to coming off the bench. The numbers are just glaring. I mean, it's something towards, he's towards 50% from three when he's starting, as opposed to being in the low 30s when he's coming off the bench. So it's a big difference. He broke out of some struggles here, and I thought it was a really encouraging sign against one of the better defensive teams in the league. So good performance from Joe. Then TJ Warren played 28 minutes, scored 20 points, 9 of 18 from the field, 2 of 5 from 3. And TJ is just going to see a lot of expanded opportunities and do a lot more things with KD out because the Nets really only have three guys who are in the rotation right now who can create their own shot. It's Kyrie, obviously, and then it's TJ Warren and Seth Curry. You wish it would be Ben Simmons, but it's just not the case right now. So TJ, you know, even more so than Seth Curry has that size at six foot eight. So can do a little bit more of getting a shot off. And we saw it in this one. He was huge. He came out really hot in the first half. I think scored seven points right off the bat. And a lot of what he's doing is just getting into the mid range and hitting those mid range jumpers, which you like to see. He can back down. He can hit a little turnaround floater with that right hand. He can go down with just a straight floater uh, towards the foul line that he's been hitting all season. He's doing some different things in terms of handling the ball in the pick and roll, which is something you haven't seen him do as much when KD and Kyrie are both out there. It's more been him being used as a screener, which he also did with Ben Simmons, which 
you know, I'm not sure how much that's going to work because Ben isn't really presenting a threat, but you know, he, he gives you some offensive versatility in the sense that he can handle the ball in the pick and roll. He can pull up from three if he needs to, or he can get into the mid range and convert at a really high clip, or he can be used as a pick and pop threat for a Kyrie, for a Seth Curry, for other guys like that, and can hit those shots from three. Also running from the floor, and I thought did a decent job holding up defensively. So, you know, TJ continues to impress. It was really encouraging to see him do it in 28 minutes in this one. So, you know, playing an expanded role, Jock Vaughn said, we don't want to push him over 30 into that 35-minute range, even though we need him so much. Don't want to do that with him coming off of that stress fracture and missing these last two seasons. So I still think TJ is far ahead of the timeline of where we thought he would be this season coming off of a two-year layoff. And I thought that this was just another encouraging performance of what we're going to see from him with Durant out and those expanded opportunities and really ramping up that usage. So Good performance from TJ. Moving on to Seth Curry, the other self-creator that the Nets have. Scored 11 points all in the first half, I'm pretty sure, on four of nine shooting from the field. And, you know, Seth was doing a lot in the first half and really kept the Nets in front for the majority of, I think it was towards the end of the first quarter and into the second quarter. And this is where his skill set comes in handy. He can create off the dribble. He can, you know, obviously knock down threes at one of the best rates in the league when he's playing like himself. But he's also been really good driving into the mid-range. And we saw it against Miami down the stretch of that big win he scored nine points in the last nine minutes and you know he's been getting to the basket more which is encouraging because it's not something you normally see him do but most of those points in that game and this boston one are just him getting into the mid-range getting guys to lean and then elevating and pulling up on a dime and is able to hit those tough shots so it's really nice to see him be able to do that but this boston team's been a bad matchup for seth and we saw it you know defensively we saw it Right when he came in the game, he scored on his first touch, and then they go back the other. They go back on the other end, and Boston immediately puts him in the action in the pick and roll with Jason Tatum, and it leads to confusion. And Tatum gets a wide open three because the Nets don't want to switch Curry onto Tatum because that's just food. But they also aren't left with many great options because they are a switch heavy team. So you know it's the balancing act for Jock Vaughn with Kevin Durant out, and it's why we saw Seth Curry's minutes cut drastically in the. Month of December is because of his deep defensive limitations alongside Kyrie Irving. But now with KD out, you're in need of shot creation. You have really have no other choice than to lean into Seth Curry because you need that offense to come from somewhere. So you're going to have to play him. You know, there's certain matchups where maybe you can scale his minutes back a little bit, but he's going to be getting a lot of time because you need him. And you just have to hope that his offensive production outweighs his defensive uh, limitations. And we've seen him do it in the past, and I don't have doubts that he can do it, but it's not like a TJ Warren where he's 6'8 and he can still cover on the other end. It's more of a guy that's going to be in the game. You need him to score because other teams are going to hunt him relentlessly on the other end, which is what we saw Boston do and what they're going to do and what better teams are just going to do because there's no reason for a Nets team that switches a lot not to put Seth Curry into actions and not to go at him. And the Nets can try to curve it, but there's not much you can do. So really just needs Seth to score. He did it in the first half, didn't do it in the second half, but still a good performance from him and really provided something to keep the Nets in the game. Royce O'Neal, 11 points, three of seven from the field, two of five from three, five rebounds, two assists, two steals, two blocks. I mean, not an outstanding offensive game, but I thought he was good enough offensively. And then defensively, I thought he did a lot of good things and defended better on the perimeter than we have seen him, which is evidence in those two steals. Also did some things around the rim with two blocks. And we saw him had a couple possessions on Jason Tatum in the fourth quarter where he was really pushing up into his grill and really covered him effectively, which was nice to see from Royce. And 
you know, Royce has always been better against bigger players. Obviously, Jason Tatum's an outlier because he's quick. He has those instincts. He can drive on people. But Royce struggles against smaller guards on perimeter. He's better against bigger wings guarding, usually in the post, but did a good job on Jason Tatum in this one. And I think, you know, didn't have his best game from a shot-making perspective, was fine, but did a good job on D and, you know, impacted the game in a variety of ways, which is what you want to see from a high-energy guy like Royce in the starting lineup. So not a bad performance for him. Uh, Nick Claxton, nine points, nine rebounds, four blocks, four of seven shooting. Nick's came, Nick came out slow in this one, but I thought he really made a huge impact in the third quarter. The Nets went down by six points and then came back to take a five-point lead at a point in that third quarter. And I think that Nick Claxton was a big reason why just his activity on the defensive end. I think he had three blocks in that third quarter and was just really making things difficult for the Celtics around the basket, was also running the floor, you know, guarding on the perimeter. And it's going to be a little bit tough for the Nets because Nick's getting pulled out and they don't have K. KD on that back line as a rim protector. So they're going to have to change what they do defensively at times. And it's something that Jock Vaughn talked about, but I thought Nick in this one really made an impact defensively. And it was nice to see him going up against Rob Williams and see those two and just you know, how much that gap is closed. And you're really seeing a guy, Nick Claxton, who's should be in the running for a most improved player, defensive player of the year. You know, obviously Rob Williams coming off an injury, but it's just nice to see those two go at it and really there not be that big of a gap between the two. I think it says a ton about Claxton's development and how, how big he's been and how big he's going to be with the rant out during the stretch. Finishing it off with Utah Watanabe, 21 minutes, five points, two of five from the field, one of three from three, one assist. Not Utah's best game. I mean, he had limited opportunities offensively, didn't perform up to par on that end. Defensively, I thought he had some plays where he struggled a little bit to stay in front of people. He struggled to bang down low. So, you know, not a great game from Utah Watanabe, not a detrimental performance whatsoever. We've seen Utah's minutes be scaled back a little bit. Would like to see him continue to get some run because the Nets are going to need more shooting around Ben Simmons and just more high-energy players who can run the floor and get things done and make some some things happen on some dirty plays with KD out. So not a fantastic performance from Utah Watanabe, not awful but you know, you'd like to see him continue getting burned and continue to try to keep building upon what he did earlier in the season. Something I want to talk about quickly is just the offensive rebounds because I thought when you look at the stat sheet, the Nets are even in a lot of areas. They took, you know, Boston took two more shots than them, which you'd like to see that go the other way, but it's not glaring. They were the Nets actually outshot the Celtics from three. The Celtics were 33%. The Nets were 38%. Um but the big difference was second chance points. I thought the Nets lost by 11 in this one and they lost the second chance points battle 12 to four and um, offensive rebounds were, were also 12 to four in Boston's favor. And when you look at where those offensive rebounds from, they're not coming from where you'd expect. And it's really kind of an interesting development in terms of people saying, obviously the Nets need more size. They need more of this. They need more of that. They need an upgrade, you know, on the back line at backup center to prevent these offensive rebounding issues. And when you look at who got the offensive rebounds for Boston in this one, it wasn't Robert Williams. He didn't have an offensive rebound. It wasn't Jason Tatum. He didn't have an offensive rebound. Marcus Smart had three. Derek White had three. Peyton Pritchard had three. Sam Hauser had three. So that's 10 or nine of their 12 offensive rebounds came from guards in this one. So that's just, Jock Vaughn talked about it post game. It's not us getting, you know, outsized or whatever, just outclassed. This was just hustle. 
And I thought Kyrie got tired down the stretch of this game. A few Nets guys might have gotten tired playing more than they have been over this recent stretch. But Boston's guards really out-hustled them, and they gave them second-chance opportunities. That when you look at the statute, it's really the glaring difference. And I thought that Kyrie looked tired down the stretch of this one. And he just he hasn't had that same pop against Boston that he has against other teams. He looked, he, I thought he had a poor defensive game. He struggled defensively. You're just staying in front of people. He fell asleep off ball. And, you know, obviously a lot of that is him being relied on so much offensively. But I think that just speaks to how these guards were able to out hustle the Nets and how these guards really made a difference in the statute that I thought really carried Boston for a little bit in this game and allowing them to close gaps quickly when the Nets got any semblance of a lead. So just got to get better hustle from the backcourt, better, better hustle from the small guys on the Nets because that disparity really didn't come from where you would expect it to in this one. So that does it for this episode of Believe in Nets. The Nets now are 27-14. and 14. They're still in second place in the Eastern Conference. They moved three games behind Boston. You know, I didn't think they played poorly in this one. I didn't think they played outstanding, but I thought it was an encouraging sign because you saw some of those secondary guys really start to create and do some stuff that you're going to need them to do with Durant out. Obviously, like I said, need Ben Simmons to start to do more, going to need better Kyrie Irving performances. But the Nets were going toe-to-toe with Boston, and they were controlling the game for a majority of this one. So I think that's encouraging for where they're at moving forward. They will play host to the Oklahoma City Thunder Sunday before departing for a five-game road trip. So hopefully they can string together some wins and what isn't the toughest schedule. They have some very winnable games and some favorable opponents mixed in there. So that does it for this episode. You can follow me at Eric Slater underscore on Twitter for news updates analysis. You can find my articles at clutchpoints.com. Appreciate you guys for listening and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.